Well, let's take our Bibles this morning, and we're going to turn in two places. First of all, Galatians chapter number 4 will be there. It's a verse that I made mention of earlier this weekend, and then we'll be over in the book of Ephesians in just a few moments. Wanting to keep the emphasis really, our pastor had talked to me about keeping the emphasis today on the family. We've been dealing specifically with the marriage relationship for the last couple of days up in Pigeon Forge and uh, just such a good attendance and a good spirit. You know, sometimes you're in a place where you're preaching or you're teaching and there's not what they refer to as liberty. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of smiles there. There's a lot of stern looks. And let me tell you, it's hard to preach and teach to a group that has that stern look that are looking at you like this young feller don't know anything, does he? I mean, thankfully, there's still a few people who call me young fellers, but uh, uh, it is hard to teach those folks. But, you know, I appreciate your openness uh, to the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the teaching of that, because it makes it a lot easier uh, for someone who's trying to really share from a heart of experience of what God's done in their life, as well as from the Word of God, uh, and, and hopefully to glean from that. We've talked about the last couple of days, there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. The truth is, there's no such thing as a perfect home. Why? Because it's made up of imperfect people. Now, that's looking at it from the human perspective. I'm so glad that God looks at us differently, amen? Uh, because of the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation that we enjoy, he no longer sees our blemishes, but he sees us as redeemed by the blood of his Son, and we thank the Lord for that. But on the human side of things, as we continue to really try to be the best that we can be in this thing called family, and this thing called relationships, there's a few things that we really need to understand. I've referred to them over the last couple of days, but if you are not there, I'd like to take a couple of minutes and talk about it this morning. The first is found in Galatians chapter number 4 in verse number 6. It's referring to us as believers, and I'll put my glasses on because I have a tendency people think I'm reading out of the wrong Bible if I don't put them on, but verse number 6 it says, And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son, into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. When we look at these particular verses, to me, it's an encouragement. It's a reminder that, hey, I'm not doing this on my own. You know, I, I, I talked recently over the last several months about folks that are going through covid or they're going through uh, relationships, COVID and relationships and family members and convalescent homes and all of the things, the deaths and, and the fear. Can you imagine going through what we've been through in the last year without the hope that we have in Christ? I mean, it'd be paralyzing. It absolutely would be paralyzing. My wife, uh, there's still several folks on her side of the family that do not know the Lord. And, and it's been a very difficult year relationally because... They see us moving around as a threat to the very fabric of society. They do not understand the fact that we're seeking to minister and to follow the Lord, but their circle has shrunk and shrunk, and, and their world is so small, and they become so calloused. And I, it goes back to, I'm not offended by their actions, but I have to be reminded of the fact that they just simply need the Lord. And when I think of that, I have to say, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Amen? And that should be the thought in the prayer of our life. Now, as I'm reflecting on the fact that I'm a child of God, I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
there's something else that I need to be reminded of. And that is everyone, or, or especially my wife, if my wife knows the Lord, she too is a child of God. And so when I think about my relationship with her, and then later as our kids grow up, and how many of you understand that our children are lent to us by the Lord? The scripture teaches that. That's a hard thing to realize at some point when you realize, hey, this, this child belongs to God. There's days that we would gladly give them back to God, amen, uh, for keeps. Uh, but the truth is, when we realize that they are God's, it should change our approach to them. It should change our understanding of our spouse. Our spouse is a believer. They are a child of God. And even though we have the, the chain of command, if you will, taught very clearly in the scriptures. And, you know, oftentimes, well, I'll talk about it more in the morning service. But when we understand the hierarchy of the marriage and what God has intended to happen, but then we also realize that my wife answers to a heavenly father. My wife uh, will one day spend eternity in heaven with her father. Did my mic go off? Am I still on? I'm on now. I thought I didn't turn it on. There we go. All right. Now I scare you. Okay. Well, now I can walk around anyway. So don't know where we were, so we'll just start at another place and move on. Amen? We'll start with my wife. She's here on the front row. But anyway, I'm just kidding. But if you were there this weekend, you know whether she's not giving me any hand signals right now, by the way. When I understand that she is a child of God, it's going to change my approach to her. I'm never going to look at her as my property, which she is not my property. I'll talk more about that in the morning service. But I'm going to look at her as God is her father. And when I speak to her, I need to reverence her in a way that I'm not going to make her daddy mad. Amen? It's not like he's going to throw lightning bolts at me, but I still don't want to treat her in a way that would upset her heavenly father. And so it revolutionizes my thinking. Well, also, when I think about my children, is my children increase in knowledge and learning and, and hopefully come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? My responsibility as a father and ours as parents is to lead them into a more nurturing relationship with their heavenly father. You know, that when you teach your children to be obedient, ultimately you're teaching them so that one day when they hear the voice of God and the Spirit of God reach out to them, they're going to recognize that authority structure. They're going to be sensitive to the leadership of that authority figure because you've taught them to be sensitive to it. And when God speaks to their heart, it's such a sweet, sweet thing when your child says, God's speaking to my heart, and they respond with a yes. Man, I can't do that. I can tell them what to do, but they can walk away. How do I know they did that? Because I did that. Amen? That's part of our nature growing up. But when we're thinking about these things, we need to understand there's really some overriding principles as we dive into some of the more specific ones today and, and later in the morning service. We need to understand there's an overriding principle that God is the Father, and He is our ultimate authority, and we're seeking to simply be obedient to him. Now, this morning in the Sunday school time, I really want to spend some time in this hour talking about modeling obedience to our children. On the way back from Pigeon Forge yesterday, we called to get an update on Chris's mom, and we were talking to her mom and dad, and really things, if you don't know, her mom was diagnosed with a 
an aggressive form of breast cancer this a couple of weeks ago, and she's in the follow-up phases of those appointments. And yesterday was our first time to really talk to them at length. We've been on some other conversations, some group calls the last few days. But yesterday in our conversation, and just to give you an update on where that is, uh, she's going in for some more scans this week and meet with an oncologist this week. She met with a surgeon already, and they'll make some determinations over the next several days. So we appreciate you praying for her. Not only that, but she's just coming out of a a pretty lengthy illness from the last several months, and she's still not 100% from that. So just pray for her strength. But in that conversation with her parents yesterday, uh, how many of you remember when her mom and dad came through back several months ago and her dad preached here? I think it was a Sunday night or a Wednesday night. I'm not sure. It was very gracious of Brother Gilbert to let him preach. He's been in evangelism for a number of years. But yesterday, he reminded me of the fact that he got saved at the age of 33. Now, he grew up in a large denominational church, but he said, not one time in my life had I ever heard that there was scripture pertaining to marriage. He said, we were just doing the best that we could. We had nothing to base it on. And when you have nothing to base it on, what do you base it on? The experience, what you grew up with, what your parents did. If your parents were a success in their marriage, then praise the Lord, you probably have some successful traits in your marriage. But if they failed in areas of their marriage, more than likely those carried over because that's what you've seen modeled. Now, when we think about that, I want you to understand, as believers, we have a responsibility to model Christ-like behavior in our home. Are we in agreement there? All right, there it is. Thank you for shaking your heads. It helps me. Smile at me. Remember, it gives me great liberty, and it makes the sermon go faster. Amen? We are actually modeling obedience to our children. Why? How do we do that? Well, it's interesting. Uh, My dad's still alive. My mom's passed away about three years ago. But, you know, I watched my parents honor their parents. I didn't really know what they were doing at the time. But the older I got and the more I began to think about my responsibility to honor my parents, I watched my parents as they sought to bring honor to their parents. And you do that in different ways. Sometimes it's in caring for them. My dad would visit my, uh, his parents at least once a week. We were in the same town, and uh, he would either do it on his way home from work or on Saturday morning. Uh, the, the boys would get in the truck with dad. We'd go get a haircut at the barbershop back when it cost $3, amen. And uh, we would stop by granny's and eat the leftover biscuits. It were like hockey pucks, but they were under the tablecloth. And we would just eat those and spend some time with his parents. And in doing so, I didn't know it at the time, he was honoring them. And he was making sure that they were taken care of. You know, as my children, at the, in the same way, are watching the way that I treat my parents and I honor my parents. So we're modeling obedience to the scriptures where the scripture says, honor thy father and thy mother. Amen. Now we also need to understand that as we're modeling obedience to our children, there are other ways that we're modeling things. It's not just in, in, in honoring our parents, but I am teaching, or I have been teaching for the last 26 years, that's how old my son is, how that a husband should take care of his wife how that he should honor his wife, how he should love his wife, how he should defer to his wife. All of those things, that he's been hearing it, but he's also been seeing it. You know, one of the greatest joys is when you see your your children doing well. And I understand children make their own decisions, and, and, and they live with the consequences of those decisions. And sometimes those are painful things to watch. 
All we can do is, is do things right before them in the eyes of God and men and pray that, they, that those things take over in their life. But when we talk about this modeling obedience, I want you to understand a couple of things this morning or how to become an obedient parent. Uh, let's turn to Ephesians chapter number 6, just a few pages to the right. Ephesians chapter number 6, and we'll read verse number 6. Actually, let's back up just a little bit. We'll start at verse number 1, and we'll focus on verse 6 here just for a minute. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. With good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. You know, one of the first ways that we can become an obedient parent is to understand that we are to pursue God and love Christ with all of our heart. We are not to live one way when we're in front of the preacher or other Christian friends and live differently at home. You know, the, 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 the phrase, your actions speak louder than your words. You know, for dad to teach Sunday school on how to pursue God and how to follow Christ and to go home and to not pursue Christ to not pursue happiness in the home, to not pursue his responsibilities in the home, but to leave all of those at the door, or when he takes his suit off when he gets home, that suit is his cloak of holiness because his life does not reflect his relationship with Christ. That is going to lead to a disastrous relationship, not only with the spouse, but also with the children. And let me tell you, you're teaching them by your actions how to pursue or to neglect your relationship with the Lord. I do believe that all of us understand that when we pursue uh, this relationship with the Lord, it is going to have an impact on our lives every single day of the week. I remember several years ago, I I had a load of singles, and we took them to um, Sandusky, Ohio. What is the name of that place? The amusement park. Anybody ever been there? Cedar Point. There we go took a load of singles from our church up in Michigan. Had I think we had two van loads. It was a bunch of us. We went down there. We're leaving the park, which was pretty happy for me. I can take amusement parks for about three hours, and then I get tired of waiting in line. And uh, so I'm ready to go. I've already had all the snacks I can stand. I can barely walk. It's time to go. But, you know, they wanted to go until the last, the last ride closed. And so I had waited, and we'd had a good time. I'm thinking we have a three-hour drive home. We have church all day tomorrow. But we're headed out in the parking lot, and I'm walking through the parking lot in between the cars. And all of a sudden, I nailed a trailer hitch on the back of somebody's truck. I mean, nailed it. Full stride, right in the center of my shin. Instant tears, instant all kinds of emotions, actually. But it got really quiet. And not once did I ever desire to say anything that would not reflect well on Christ, but I did want to write some things on the windshield of that vehicle, amen. But I noticed I could feel the gaze of all of those young singles on the back of my head. 
how is he going to react to this? I mean, it was obvious. It was suddenly a tennis ball right in the middle of my shin where there shouldn't have been one. I mean, it hurt. It hurt bad. You know, as I thought about that, I could not say, you did a great job, Brian, by keeping it under control. No, it was, it was the result of a relationship with the Lord that helped me to keep it under control. Understanding that my actions would speak much louder than anything I ever taught them in a single Sunday school class. They were watching. Why? Because they knew how people normally react. I mean, I grew up in construction. I've heard people do things to themselves, and let me tell you, they go off in a tirade. I played golf with people that have thrown clubs into the lake. Dr. Sis, I'm sorry, I wasn't supposed to tell that on you, but I'm just teasing. Never has happened. We've thought about it, though, haven't we, brother? Amen. The idea is that, you know, we are reflecting Christ seven days a week, 24 hours a day. I understand you're sleeping. You don't have a lot of control over that. But in your waking hours, you are to reflect Christ. You know, there should never be a question in your children's lives about whether or not mom and dad love God. And you know how they're going to know that you love God? They're going to see it on Monday just like they see it on Sunday. They're going to see it around the Sunday lunch table just like they hear their parents when they're teaching the Sunday school class. There's going to be something different about you than the folks that they witness in the world, the ones that they witness in their school, and maybe even other people that they know in church when they go to their homes. They're going to be able to tell that you're genuine or not. And so it's, it's vitally important that you understand that your pursuit of God and your love of Christ with all of your heart is paramount in your family. Anybody here agree with that this morning? Amen. All right. Most of you. All right. Secondly, I want you to understand that obeying your heavenly father and letting your kids know, in other words, that relationship you have with the Lord, that understanding of Kids, I not only want to serve the Lord and I want to be obedient to the Lord, but communicate with them the decisions that you make that illustrate your commitment to follow the Lord. Now, here's the thing, and this, this is why I bring this up. It's very easy for us to live a life separate from our children because we make decisions that they're not even old enough to comprehend yet. You know, when we're doing the budget, when we're, when we're uh, considering the cost of certain things, when we're filling out a faith promise commitment card, or even something as simple as a weekly tithe that we give to the church, oftentimes we neglect to involve our children in that. And in so doing, we're actually losing an opportunity to give instruction to them. Now, if they're two, I understand. If they're two, they don't understand what a faith promise commitment card is. I keep one right here in my Bible just so I can make the challenge at any time. They may not understand, but let me tell you, you can, you can teach them. How do I know that? I have a two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter. She's the smartest grandchild in the world. I'm glad she takes after her mother, her grandmother, amen? The thing is, when she, she is learning so quickly, sometimes she's a parrot, and she'll just repeat what you say. And even if it's a compound word, she'll repeat it back. She doesn't know what it means, but she likes the way it sounds. She's able to repeat it back to you. You know, it's a, can you imagine the concept of teaching a child, even at that age, to give? Now, what do most children know how to do when they're that age? They sound like the seagulls on Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. I mean, it's all about them. 
But the idea is, no, everything belongs to the Lord. And you can teach a two-year-old that everything belongs to the Lord. Now let's give unto the Lord. Let's give to the church. One of the things we did at, at our church there at Bible Baptist is we had so many children's programs going on because of the military families and dads being deployed and just trying to be a blessing and an encouragement to the moms that oftentimes I could go a whole week and not have any impact involvement with the children. So on Sunday nights, we started having a, an offering specifically for missions for the children to give. It wasn't for the adults, but this is what we did. We set a, uh, one of those big water jugs in the front of the auditorium, and we had steps all the way across, and I would go, and I would sit down on the steps like this, and I would get all the way down on their level, and the kids would come into the back of the auditorium, and they had to come in from other areas because they were in children's ministries. But they would walk in the center aisle and they would smile immediately because they knew what was coming. They were going to walk down the aisles and no adult in that building was going to leave with change in their pocket. I mean, it was highway robbery. The kids didn't have their own money to give, but man, we were making sure grandma and grandpa didn't go home with anything, amen? Amen. No vacation jars in our house, in our church, amen. It all went into the, into the water jug. The reason for that, and I explain this to, my, to the adults in our church, is I want to create an atmosphere of giving with our children. I want them to enjoy it. Matter of fact, I, I hired a staff member that came in, and he was doing the music, and he told me, and he was very serious about it, and, and I don't want to belittle him at all. He was so serious about the the song service and the structure of it that he wanted to make sure everything was perfect and led right up to the preaching. And I get that, and I appreciate it. Believe me, I've had other situations that did not lend to that result. But when he came in, he said, Brother Brian, he said, I really don't like that offering because it distracts so much from the singing. And I said, I said, well, time out then. I said, this is an environment that I've created so that I can interact with our kids and teach our children to be givers. And I said, I don't care if nobody rem- that no one remembers the song, but I guarantee you they'll never forget those children walking through that auditorium. And you see a little two-and-a-half-year-old coming up, and at first their parents have to bring them. But then after a little while, they get excited, and suddenly they, they put their money in the jug, and, of course, a two-year-old does it like this, plunk, plunk, plunk. And I'm like, okay, there's only four stanzas. We need to do this a little faster. We'd have 60 or 70 kids given. And uh, so we'd teach them how to drop it in there, and then they'd turn around and they'd scan the crowd. Man, they were the best ushers in the world. Who else here has money that I can put in the offering? I mean, an adult can't get away with that, but you take a little two-year-old, and she's wearing her little flowery dress, and every grandpa in there melts to butter and empties his pockets and even gives them lint so that they can put it in the jug. The purpose of that was creating an atmosphere of training, a positive experience to reinforce the heart of God towards giving. You know, it's an amazing thing when it came to missions conference. I'll never forget the first year we decided to give gifts to the missionaries. And this is a, I I explained this to some missionaries one time. I said, I understand that it's hard for you to receive gifts when you're on the road for a month and prices at a, or space is at a premium in your minivan. I understand that. 
I said, but when you come here, I want you to understand what we're trying to do. We're trying to create a spirit of giving, a, a, a spirit of taking care of God's anointed and those that are called to go into missions. We want to create an impact on your family and your children. Now, the first year we did this is funny. My wife uh, emailed all the missionaries, and, and, and missionaries as a whole are pretty hard to get emails back from, responses. When you ask them questions, they're like, oh, no, is there a wrong answer? Am I going to give a wrong answer? I mean, they're scared to death. But we didn't make it about some of the harder things. It was just like, what are some of your needs? And we'd be specific. Give us a big need. Give us a small need. Uh, give us some really small needs. If your kids need socks. And, and my wife would just pound them for about two months to be able to finally get responses. And I said, listen, if you don't respond to this email and you don't receive Everyone else's kids receive a lot of things. It's on you. But they, they would come in, and my, this is what my wife would do. She'd take those tags, and she'd make out, well, actually, she'd make out a sheet with tags. And instead of writing down, let's say one of them said, I need size six, whatever. Instead of writing one, she'd write out three. And our folks after church, the first year was kind of funny. The first year, they'd take one, and they'd be like, okay, this is my gift to the missionaries, a pair of socks. When they saw what was happening, when they came in, and I told them to wrap their gifts, on Sunday afternoon they would come in with their gifts wrapped, and some of them would try to say, Pastor, here, you give it to them. And I'd be like, no, you stay for the afternoon service and you give it to them. And we would line them up, and it's the most embarrassing thing in the world to a missionary. But again, it was creating an atmosphere and a training for our people to, re to recognize needs and respond to the needs. But we got our kids involved. The first year, this is where I was going with that, the first year I can remember our kids, they all wanted to sit on the front row of the church. Why? Because it was Christmas. You know, what child doesn't want to see presents open? But I can remember walking across the auditorium, and I'd hear some of them going, well, I wish I was getting a gift. You know, they were just kind of bad-mouthing. And, and so I would talk to them and say, hey, it's not about you. God's going to, you're going to get presents. Your parents are going to take care of you, your birthday. Today it's about them and honoring them. The first year, it was small, one tab. The second year, the tabs were gone. Instead of getting one of each, there were three of each. So, I mean, if a kid asked for a baseball bat, if a parent said, well, my son would like a baseball bat, they'd come in, there'd be three bats. And all the siblings would be like, oh, no, <laughs> what are we going to do? That kid doesn't need a bat. He certainly doesn't need three, amen? But then dad would pull out one tie and now two ties and three ties or mom would get an outfit or, you know, a, a bundle of diapers and so many things. And I understand gift cards are easier to, to deal with, but at that time we were trying to nurture that relationship, nurture that spirit of giving so that people could respond and we were teaching our kids. That's why it's so important that we understand that we not only pursue God, but we obey our Heavenly Father and let our kids know and let our kids get involved. You know, our church where I grew up, I remember they had tithe boxes in the front of the auditorium. When you grow up with that, it's not a big deal. But when you come into a church and you're like, where's everybody going during the song? I mean, they start singing a song and everybody just starts going forward. And you're like, what did I miss? What's in, do you look at the bulletin? You know, is there a time we all come forward to pray? No, they're all giving their tithe. My dad, I can still remember him handing me that tithe envelope and saying, go put this in. It wasn't my tithe, but I walked down the aisle like it was my tithe. 
what was he doing? He was teaching me to give. And later, it was a natural thing when I had something to give and offer to the Lord, I was willing to come. Why? Because I had been trained. So we teach them to pursue God, walk with the Lord, and then be obedient to our Heavenly Father and allow our kids to know what's going on in our life. You know, one of the greatest tools that a parent can teach their children is how to pray. You know, how many times have you prayed about something quietly in your own life, but no one else around you knew of that particular need or desire of your heart? You know, sometimes I think it's important for us as parents to just simply communicate with our kids, mom and dad are praying about this. You know, kids get so excited when God answers their prayer. That simple faith that they have. Well, where do they have the faith to begin with to pray? Because they've seen God do something amazing in mom and dad's life. I'll never forget one time I met a man and he said, um, he said, well, I don't pray about the small things. I save it for the big things. I don't want to bother God with the small things. And I said, buddy, your big thing's a small thing to God. You're not bothering God. If he cares enough about you to number the hair on your head, I think he cares about the small details. And so my desire is to talk to him about everything. You know, when you try to emulate, pray without ceasing in your life, you're going to find out you need to pray about everything. Teach your kids to pray about everything. Instead of meeting all of their needs, how about saying, hey, let's pray about that and see what God does. Let's pray that God will give you some extra jobs this summer so that you can buy those new basketball shoes. I remember that conversation from my dad very clearly. So I went to work, and I'll never forget, I went to Grandpa's, you remember that, Brother Jones, out there on Fort Campbell Boulevard, and bought my first pair of Converse basketball shoes. My dad was livid on the inside, I'm sure, for what I paid for those basketball shoes. I worked for weeks for the money to to be able to buy those shoes, but Dad taught me. God provided, and then I was able to do it. My dad taught me that. I thank the Lord for that. You know, something I've already mentioned, the third thing that I would like to share with you as a point this morning is to not get caught up in the appearance trap. Do not get caught up in the appearance trap. Again, because of our relationship with the Lord, the salvation that we have of the Lord, well, let's go back to that verse. Chapter number 6. Not as men pleasers, verse number 6, chapter 6, verse 6. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ. You know, we saw that word servants of Christ, but we also saw in Galatians chapter number 6, we're no longer servants, but we're sons of God. That relationship that we have with the Lord, now I'm not doing it because I have to, now I'm doing it because I have the opportunity to do it. I do it with a heart of gratitude. When you do something and you tell your kids, you need to do this because the preacher wants you to do it. No, it, a greater, and, and that's not a bad thing to teach them in the beginning. But ultimately, and I believe Pastor would agree with this, he wants you to serve the Lord and obey the Lord just simply because you have a relationship with him and a gratitude for what he's done for you. You teach your children that I want to have that relationship with the Lord and I want to serve not just so Pastor notices, but I want them to develop a real sincere desire to just please God. Just to recognize that the position that I have in the Lord Jesus Christ and what that relationship brings to me, there should be such an abundance of gratitude in my heart that I'm willing to just say yes to the Lord no matter what he asks me to do. Giving a little tithe in a water jug is no big deal. But being a godly father is a little bit harder. 
responding correctly to your spouse who maybe is having a bad day, that might be a little bit more difficult. It's not difficult if you're walking with the Lord and being led by the Spirit of God because he's going to help you navigate those waters. He's going to help you to help your spouse come out of that horrible day and begin to renew their relationship. I'm not talking about my wife here. I wish I'll talk about Tim. No, I'm just kidding. The idea is life comes at us from all directions, but if our kids see us pursuing Christ in everything, you know, it, it comes to the point where I have a flat tire on the side of the road. I'm not mad about the flat tire, especially if I knew that the tire was bald anyway. Amen? But I'm not mad at the spare tire. I'm not mad at the tire. I'm not mad at the fact that I haven't checked the spare tire's air pressure in a long time. But I realize that that tire going flat on the side of the road might be the Lord giving me an opportunity. And when, I, when I'm walking with the Lord and I'm pursuing the Lord, I look at everything that happens in my life as God has a hand in it. And if God has a hand in it, then my expectation should be different than if I'm approaching it from a human standpoint. What do I mean by that? Okay, so the tire goes flat. Uh, I, I, well, I used to do it this way. I remember I would drive to work in Nashville. I had a 45-minute drive. This was when I was doing flight training. We lived in Clarksville. We were working in the church there, uh, teaching the Sunday school class for the young marrieds and the military and everything. But I was pursuing flight instruction. I was working a full-time job so that I could pay for it. It was a 45-minute drive one way. I had three different directions that I could drive, not directions, but three different routes that I could take. All would get me to work within five minutes of each other. And I would sit at the end of my driveway, and I'd say, Lord, which way do you want me to go? I didn't have Google Maps back then, didn't even have a cell phone, so I couldn't check traffic, so I had to talk to the, to the one that was high and lifted up, amen, so that he could give me the preferred route for the day. But it wasn't necessarily about traffic. Because I would always leave early just in case something happened. But I would say, Lord, which way do you want me to go? And here's what happened because of my desire to know which way God wanted me to go. No longer was it about getting to work. And I don't ever remember being late. Well, once. There was a fireworks display in Nashville on a Sunday night after church. And I had to be at work at 9 o'clock. And the whole interstate stopped to watch the fireworks display. Couldn't, everybody else was late, including my boss. So I didn't get in trouble that night. But on those days when I would pray, Lord, where would you, which way would you have me to drive? When I pulled out of the driveway, I was looking for the hand of God moving in my life. Here's how, here's how it came about. One day I was driving up the road and I'd prayed about which way to go. And I passed by someone who was sitting on the side of the road and they were broke down. And immediately, I didn't look at that as, whew, they're having a bad day. I went, okay, Lord, I left early. I prayed about which way to go. This person is sitting there. I have some time on my hands. I'm going to stop and offer assistance. I didn't just offer assistance. I'd invite them to church. I'd talk to them about the Lord. There were times when I was driving up the interstate one day, and there was a, a young serviceman that was moving to Fort Campbell. He had his U-Haul truck on his trailer. His U-Haul trailer behind his truck was a 71 Monte Carlo. That's a big car, way too big for a U-Haul trailer, amen. As a matter of fact, it was not really on the U-Haul trailer. It was dragging off the back, and the rear bumper was dragging on the asphalt, and he didn't know it. 
One of the chains, the safety chain, was all that was holding it. Nothing else was holding it. I'm driving up the interstate. I flag him down. We pull over the side of the road, and I helped him get the car back up on the trailer and, and fasten it down. And he goes, man, why would you do that? And I pulled out my church track, and I said, well, I go to this church, and we care about our military, and we thank you for your service, and talk to him about the Lord. If you're just blasting through life and you're not cognizant of the fact that God's working 24 hours a day all around you, then you'll miss out on opportunities that God puts right through. I mean, instead of driving by and going, whoo, that boy better pull over. That car's a goner. I've done that before. That's why I can say that. I've gone by when I wasn't really thinking and, and I've missed opportunities. I say that because let's say you're driving down the road and your kids are in the back seat. And God gives you an opportunity like that. And they see dad so sensitive to the spirit of God that he goes, hey, we've got some extra time. Let's, let's stop and help him change that flat. You see somebody carrying a gas can up the interstate. Let's, let's get, buy them some gas. Let's get them back on the road. You see the, the person there right up the street from the church there in Clarksville. We saw it a few weeks ago. There's a lady that everyone in that area knows is homeless living in her car. She's about 100 feet from the church entrance, right there off of the interstate. From what I understand, she's been there almost every night for about six months. And people come by, and they'll, they'll, there'll be bags of food. And she has a gas can out there in the morning because she runs her car all night to have heat. You know, different ones are offering her assistance. But you know what I've been, my sister lives right around the corner, and we were talking about her the last time we were in town, and she goes, you know, I've talked to her time and time again, trying to get her to come to church and trying to do this. And she said, I'm just so burdened for her. I said, well, Suzanne, you just obey the voice of the Lord, and God's going to work through you just simply by your obedience. And she continues to do that. It's that sensitivity. You see, we're talking about training our children, but let me tell you, there's no greater way that you can train your children than to live for God and be so in tune with God that your children go, that's just the right thing to do. It's just the natural thing to do. You know, you send missionaries all around the world, they're going to do these same things, but we have to be of the mindset that, hey, here's an opportunity. I have a talent. I have a treasure that can be invested. I'm going to use it right here. I'm going to involve my kids in it. Last year when they had the tornadoes here in the area, what a great opportunity to take your kids and, and show them how to have a, a love for their community and try to make an impact in the community. You say, well, they can't do much. They're six or seven, but you cut the branches a little smaller with a chainsaw so that they're not tugging on the big branch, but they can grab the small one and go to the curb just like the big boys are doing. What are you teaching them? You're teaching them a heart of service. Let me give you number four and then we'll close. Look at Titus chapter number 2, if you would, with me just for a second. Titus chapter number 2. Verse number 11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. There's going to be a time when your children are going to come to the age where they're going to question your motives behind your actions. Understand that this is a natural thing. Understand, uh, especially your, your, your young men, when they reach those teenage years, there's a, a God-given 
desire that comes out of them for their own independence. And you recognize that God's nurturing them, God's molding them, God's using them. And there's going to be a natural tendency for them to say, Dad, why do you do this? Mom, why do you do this? Instead of just saying, well, just do it because I told you to do it, recognize that it's a teaching opportunity and a teaching moment. Realizing that someone's taught you, the pastor's taught you, or a Sunday school teacher, or another, you know, Christian that's walking with the Lord, or maybe your parents, you had a godly influence with your parents, and they taught you. But in that moment of time, you realize, now is the time that Brother Baggett was talking about. Now's the time that I can help my son move from just being obedient to dad because dad said to do it, uh, to this is why dad does it, and it comes from the word of God. Let me tell you, it's a wonderful, wonderful transition to see your child go, hmm. Now, I'm not going to say I'm the perfect parent. If my kids were here, they would be happy to tell you that I was not the perfect parent. There were times when I acted inappropriately or reacted inappropriately. There's, let me tell you, nothing will test your anger like raising a teenage boy. And moms would probably say, nothing will test your emotions like raising a teenage girl. Amen. We understand that. But here's something that I really wanted to emphasize this morning. When we are teaching our children, one of the greatest things we can teach our children is that we're not perfect and that we make mistakes. That is not to be used as an excuse for inappropriate behavior. But we're all going to make a mistake. And the greatest thing I think you can tell your child is I'm sorry, I was wrong. You know, after 25 plus years in ministry and dealing with families and, you know, raising our own family, I can tell you when a dad is willing to admit a mistake, it changes everything in the home. But when a, when a child grows up in an atmosphere where dad makes mistakes all the time but will never admit failure and will never admit wrong, He's creating the next generation of dad that has the propensity and the likelihood of doing the same thing, and it devastates a family. There's been some times, I'm not proud of them, but I'm telling you today just to let you know that I practice what I preach. There's been some times when I had to go to my son who thought differently than I did. His thinking process, we would arrive at the same conclusion, but by completely different routes. And it was frustrating at times when I was trying to give him instruction and he just didn't get it the way I wanted him to get it. And, and my anger would come up. And, you know, the great thing about the Spirit of God is he immediately identifies failure on your part or what's leading to failure. Just the thought process is going to take you down the wrong road. He, he really gives you insight into that. And when you allow him to change your 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 thoughts and change your direction. He can help you avoid the pitfalls. But when you go off that cliff and you make that mistake, you respond in anger, you throw that screwdriver or you, you yell or something like that. When you calm down and you say, you know, I know I did that and it was wrong. And I apologize. It is not a behavior that becomes Christ. It is not a behavior that reflects well on Christ. And my desire is to please him in all things. Let me tell you, they'll never forget it. I remember one time I told my son, I bought him this old truck. It was a 1984 Chevy, four-wheel drive. It had been in a four-car accident and came out as one pickup. 
It was four different colors depending on what side you looked at it from, but it's a diesel, it's a four-speed. We had it out on the farm. It stayed in the barn, but that was his first vehicle. I taught both my kids to drive on it. I said, if you can drive this thing, you can drive anything. But I told him one day, I said, I want you to change the fender on this truck. And he's like, Dad, I don't know if I can do it. I said, son, it's only four bolts. Well, I didn't know that it was four bolts. I didn't intentionally lie to him. But So he went into it with his buddy that were there. They were there all day. I checked on him a couple of times by phone. I was at the church, and I was like, she's like, they're still out there working. And I'm thinking to myself, this is taking way too long. Well, I got home that afternoon, and I was a little frustrated. Why did you take all day? I had this and this and this for you to do, but all day, and it's still not done. And he said, Dad, you told me there were four bolts. I said, yeah. He said, there were 14. He said, and some of them are not accessible by any tool in your toolbox. He said, I've been working on it all day. Now, I knew what he meant by working on it all day. They'd work on it a while. They'd goof off for a while. They'd come back to it when they panicked over the time. I understood all that stuff. But when I got upset with him, I had to say, you know, son, I was wrong. I was wrong in my response. Not only can I not count, I actually had no idea. I said, I didn't handle it correctly. You know, he and I joke about it today. We still joke about that fender. You know, he lives there on the farm, and I'll call him some days, and I'll say, hey, son, do you mind doing this to the tractor? And I said, there's only four bolts, and he just starts laughing on the other end of the phone. Oh, yeah, right, four bolts, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it could have been a devastating moment that he looked back on for the rest of his life and said, I can't believe Dad got so mad over a fender. My friends, when we're raising our kids, we only have one chance to get it right. We're going to fail. Admit the failure. But let them see your relentless pursuit of obeying Christ and honoring Christ in your life. And God will give you some of the most wonderful experiences and memories that you could ever imagine if you'll simply honor him. Can you imagine it being that simple? Just love the Lord and follow the Lord. Is it truly that simple? It is. Let's pray.